everyone, welcome back to the Fowler Hour. On today's show, I'm joined by Matt Dawson. He's an awesome brand identity designer from the States. He's a founder of the creative conference CropCon and a partner at the creative agency Ash Collective. Now, Matt and I have been kind of in touch through Instagram a little bit over the last year or so, and we have kind of had a similar mindset shift when it comes to creating and sharing your own work. So we'll be talking a lot about that today and also about running your own events and the benefits of that and the types of community you can build from it. Today's show is brought to you by Design Cuts. You can upgrade your font library design assets and textures with Design Cuts. It's an online curated store of incredible tools, as I say, assets, typefaces, the whole shebang. And every single week, they've got a new bundle going up that can potentially save you thousands of dollars. I've saved on mock-ups, on typefaces like Futura, on vintage bundles, illustrations, all those incredible types of design that you need when dealing with different clients. To save yourself potentially thousands of dollars and help support the Fowler Hour, head to cfowler.design and it will redirect you to their latest bundle to potentially, I say, save you thousands of dollars. We're also brought to you today by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform where there are thousands of classes, not just in design, but in basically any skill that you'd like to learn. It could be web design, it could be painting, it could be speaking confidently and client meetings and business practices. Whatever you'd like to learn, Skillshare has those classes on offer just for you. Now, Skillshare is offering two free months of their platform to unlimited classes, not just one, unlimited classes for all listeners of the Fowler Hour. Now, to get your two free months to access all of this awesome content, go to skl.sh slash cfowlerdesign or tap the link down in the podcast show notes to take you directly there. By accessing and getting two free months of Skillshare, you help support me and the Fowler Hour. So thank you very much for your support. Now, on to the show with Matt Dawson. Hello and welcome back to the Fowler Hour. This week, I am joined by the lovely Matt Dawson. How are you doing today, Matt? Good, good. How are you? I'm really good. I've, as you, as you heard, just as always, jumping off one podcast straight to another, and my voice is probably completely blown out for this one, but I'm going <laughs> to sip on some very cold water and we'll try and recover from there. So, Matt, for people who don't know, is a really awesome designer, firstly, but also runs his own conference and among other things, obviously. So, before we get started, kind of diving into some deeper topics today, Matt, could you explain to everyone at home? maybe a bit about your history, what you do at the moment, and maybe a couple of things that you enjoy doing on the side. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm primarily a, a branding-based uh, graphic designer. I, I, try to, I try to do a little bit of everything as my history kind of lends itself to um, being sort of a renaissance man with design. You know, like I, I, started, I started out at a publishing company. I worked at agencies. I've done the in-house thing. I've done the corporate thing. Um, and that was kind of like all of my, all of my path leading to where I am now. So I, I did a lot back in the day, um, that has kind of ultimately, you know, I, I think that was good, uh, to have that experience of doing multiple types of design because it ultimately led me to what I really wanted to do, which was branding. So, um, I've been designing professionally. I say professionally in air quotes because, you know, I, I guess we're all professionals. I guess we all make shapes, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, 
so I've, I've been I've been designing uh, you know full time for uh, eleven years now. This this year in two thousand nineteen. Um, so you know I'm like I said I've primarily shifted toward the branding world. Um, I did freelance for a while on my own. And then last year, uh, I started a boutique agency with a couple of friends of mine and we just, uh, we finished our first year of that. It was good. Uh, so we're going to do it again. And, um, I also run the crop conference along with my wife and, you know, we put on two full scale events per year. And, you know, I, I also do, I also dabble with a little bit of freelance here and there that doesn't quite fit in with, you know, our, our full-time thing or, you know, passion projects here and there, you know, um, things that are, things that are important, just kind of want to do because, Hey, I really, I really want that. I really want to help them out. Or I haven't done a project like this in a while. So, um, it sounds like you got your hands real dirty over the years. Yeah, yeah. Like really, uh, really. I didn't realize your history was was so broad in terms of the types of industries you've worked in. So, mm-hmm. across that eleven year period, when when did the idea of of going solo come into your mind? Was it something that was on the cards for a long time, and you kind of let it kind of sit there in the back of your mind, and just wasn't the right time? When did I, that click? You know, I think that's kind of always been the goal. You know, I, I think that that's one of the great that's one of the great aspects about our career is we we really we can work for ourselves. It's just very very hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, so whenever you're a young designer, you you think that you know, oh, this is impossible, but you know you can do it. And as you continue on in your career, like you learn so much that you don't get taught in school. Um, that you kind of you start to realize, you know, like okay, well. If I, if I really want to do this, it's going to take a lot of work. And luckily that, that gets easier, but you know, you, you really kind of have to make the choice. Like, do I want to, do I want to continue working for somebody else and building their dream or do I want to build my own? And that was the turning point I had about three years ago. Um, you know, I was, I was working at a branding agency and I was really enjoying the work, but at the same time, it was a small place and I could, I could see, you know, that that I was just a piece in somebody else's puzzle. And, you know, I, I had a really successful side thing going, to be honest with you. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm not, I'm not bragging. I'm legitimately proud of this. Like I was making as much on the side on nights and weekends, handling my own clients as I was working a 50 hour day job. And, you know, it's, it's because of just like that, that dedication that I took to, to build it and turn it into, you know, my own thing. And it was really scary, but you know, it just got to a point where I was kind of killing myself. I wasn't spending as much time with my family as I wanted to, um, because I was literally burning the candle at both ends. Yeah. And, um, like once, once they kind of got neck and neck salary wise and, um, you know, my, my freelance started to eclipse what I was making. It was like, I'm jump shit. I'm just going to do it now. Like I didn't have anything saved up. I was just so ready to do it that, you know, like I was like, if I don't do it now, I've put it off in the past. If I, if I put it off again, who knows how long before I get to this point. And I just kind of, you know, went for it. That's a serious sink or swim mentality, which I think is creative people. Most people have you, you, I, all the people who do it for a long time have, because if, even if you just hop between agency life and 
build your way up through the industry like internally you still have that mentality but to hear that well firstly it is an incredible feat to, to be able to turn around to anyone and say that you were able to earn as much if not more on a side hustle as your freelance work as you were in a day job that to many people is the idea of the perfect moment to jump ship mm-hmm. and you know and, and it is but at the same time it's like you've you've got to be smart about it you've got to really manage your time and your money um you, you've got to learn how to do that just as much as you have to learn how to um treat your clients well and design as as well as you possibly can um it's there's a lot more responsibility and a lot more hats to be worn whenever you decide to go full-time you know like ideally um you know ideally you would you would want some kind of cushion <laughs> you know some sort of safety net but uh you know if, if i had to do it all over again i, I probably wouldn't change anything but I would, I would encourage anybody that's thinking about it, you know, like if, if you're at all concerned with money and you have responsibilities, wait till you have a little bit of cushion. Yeah, I think one of the things I learned before I dove headfirst in, I managed to save up about six months worth of money working a 5 a.m., 3 p.m. kind of nine hour shift in a supermarket mm-hmm. every day. And it just burned oh, me out. Wow. But it it allowed me to have that that cushion, as you say. And my difference was that I didn't have the industry experience that say maybe someone like you did, but I had the savings and the effort and the determination to be able to go, well, we can just burn through this and we'll figure it out. That's awesome. It was like the other way around. Yeah. Um, But the fact that, as I say, to anyone listening on that topic, you want about, if you can do it and you have responsibilities, get six months worth of savings because that will set you up pretty ready to go. Yeah. That's, that's a good rule of thumb and that's kind of what I've always heard. So yeah, you, you did it the right way. Were, were you doing any kind of client work as well during that time? Nope. I didn't have a single client. Wow. I didn't have a clue even how to build the, build the business. And you, you just knew where you wanted to go and you were taking the steps to. Yeah. I, it was, it was the point at which I went, you know what? I'm sick of this job. Everything else that I thought was going to be happening over the next five years had fallen apart at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was just like, you know, stuff it like we're going, we're just going to dive in and I can always get a job in a coffee shop. Like it's, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That, Um, you know, like I, I love that you say that too, because that was, we had a lot of, you know, my, my wife and I had a lot of serious talks about it whenever I was kind of planning to, to go on my own. And that was like, what you just said was kind of like the aha moment. It's like, okay, if it doesn't work you just go get a job somewhere else. You know, like I think, I think you're like, Oh God, if this doesn't work, it's going to be in the end of the world. And it's really not, you know, you just, you go get a job and and wait some tables or or work in a supermarket on a night shift or something that pays the bills. So then you can do the cycle again, because one way or another, if you want to do it, you'll continue to do and work that night shift until your, your freelance works eclipse, as you said, quite nicely your your work inside of an agency now when it came to you leaving the agency and leaving that kind of more corporate world behind was it just a con- like a convenience and a personal choice to go you know what i can get enough money i have the determination i can do this or was there any kind of feeling of i want my own control my own business and the internal politics were kind of eating away at you um 
to make you want to kind of edging you towards the edge edging you that doesn't make any sense but you know what i mean oh uh, uh, no no I, I, absolutely and uh, you know to answer it as well as possible all of the above really you know um where where i was you know there were there were great projects but they they weren't my projects you know um and even though i i felt that i i brought a good skill set and i'm i'm proud of the work that i did during that time you know it was it there wasn't as much freedom as i would have liked to have had you know um sometimes as an employee uh, your ideas can get vetoed or downplayed because you know you're the employee, you're not the employer, and that you know that was a struggle because I was having so much success with my own clients and the freedom to you know like you know be the decision maker there, and then you know fifty hours out of the week that was reversed, you yeah. know, and I was kind of like the uh, you know just doing my part for somebody else's, uh, you know, grind. And yeah, it was definitely a struggle and the, the, the freedom and wanting to be a little bit more in control. Um, it definitely played a part. Now, when it comes to maybe the heart, maybe some of the harder ships that things that maybe people need to learn, is there anything you'd recommend that would be something you didn't do or didn't learn immediately that you maybe suffered from? Because I know there's a lot of things that I didn't learn straight up front that I suffered through the six months, like business-wise and things like that in terms of conversations. Is there anything that you'd recommend people learn maybe up front if they're thinking about doing this themselves? Uh, you know, that, that, business, that business aspect comes up a lot. That was definitely one of the tougher, one of the tougher hurdles. Time management was a tough hurdle. Um, because once, once you go from doing something on, on the nights and weekends and then you have all day to do it, your, your time management skills really have to adapt to that, to that broad spectrum of time that you have um, because it's, it, it is very sink and swim. And you have this newfound freedom where you're at home all day or you're at your own office all day and you kind of, you know, you're like a, you're like a dog off of the leash. You want to go mm-hmm. explore and you, you know, like you're kind of excited. So the time management was a big deal for me. And, and business is an ongoing educational process. Like even, even in our new business, um, with, with our new agency, it, I, I don't, I don't feel like that's ever going to end, but I do feel like I probably could have been better prepared for it. Um, by, you know, studying, like reading articles, there's all sorts of stuff on, um, all sorts of great information out there on like how to freelance uh, contracts. Oh my God, dude, contracts are like, <laughs> like so important. And yeah, um, that, that would be, you know, scratch everything I just said, contracts. Because contracts, I've, cover your eyes. I've, I've been burned a handful of times and it sucks, man. And it's, mm. it's things that would have been easily, easily remedied had, had I, you know, had the foresight to have a contract and there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good resources out there. Um, so, you know, as much time as you spend on dribble or Behance or Pinterest or Instagram, that's great for the visual aspect, but carve out some time to go and, um, you know, pick up, pick up the other side of information that you need to have too. I think there's actually a, a contract template that AI GA made. So if you're ever in the States, go and look on their, look up an AIGA 
contract template. I think they put one together for everyone kind of from motion graphics, illustration to graphic design. And it's like a pick and choose, like you pick a section and yeah, yeah. do that kind of thing. So that might be useful if people are just starting out with it. As I say, contracts are just a bitch. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. They're, they they're are. horrible to look at. They're horrible to write. They're horrible to read. And often you're having to write a brand, a very simple, maybe a slightly brand new one with every client. And yeah. when you're doing it all yourself, it can be very taxing. It definitely, it definitely can. And like the, the services that we sell are such an odd service for a lot yeah. of people to wrap their head around. Okay, you're going to design a logo for me. Why do I need to sign this legal type document for that? <laughs> you know, it, like there's so many hurdles with, with what we do to convince people like, hey, you know, you need to, yes, a logo costs this much. Yes, we need to have a contract. Yes, there are, you know, you can't have it yesterday. So um, <laughs> yeah. sorry about that you cannot phone me at 2 a.m it says so in the contract please right. please no phone calls so when it comes to now doing your own thing uh you've obviously been doing that for a few years now and got a bit more freedom by the sounds of it in terms of your work-life balance and having the control mm -hmm. now let's talk about your conference because i, I want to hear where this idea comes from what you want to do with it what it's all about so for someone who might not know what crop is and what you do twice a year, what's it all about? Yeah, so um, uh, the the quick the quick explanation of crop is it's um, it's a design conference that has kind of turned into a little bit of a you know like conference series. Uh, the main event is two to three days in the spring in Louisiana, which is uh, where we're from. And uh, that's been a huge success. We've been doing it. We're coming up on our fourth year. And then also in the fall, we do a pop-up crop event, which is a little, you know, it, it's a little more laid back. It's a single day. Um, you know, it has workshops and keynotes that are all blended into one day as to where the main crop has a full day of workshops and a full day of keynotes. Um, of course, we, we try to throw... Uh, rad parties for everybody because the com <laughs> community is a, a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, but that's, that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. And the reason we started it was um, I had gone to an in-house conference for a corporate company and I talked about typography and taught some, you know, taught like a bit of a workshop on, on how to work with type. And while I was there, I'd never been to a conference before. Um, so I'm at this little, you know, like kind of like very niche conference and I'm just hanging out with everybody. I, I'd, known, I'd known a lot of the people for years. And um, while I'm there, I was like, this is awesome. All these people that are together and they're all nerding out about design. And, you know, little did I know, like, it's not a new thing. There are, you know, conferences have been around forever. Um, but there wasn't anything in that area um, that was like, that was like what we produce with crop. So it kind of, you know, I saw a need and we filled it basically. And, um, you know, we've, we've grown a really awesome community. Like we've, um, you know, we've, we've done three main crops. We've done two pop-up crops. Um, we're coming up on the one in April. So we've done five events and, you know, like three years and we're coming up on our sixth event. Uh, they've sold out every time we've brought people in from like five different countries and like 28 states. And it's kind of, it, it's taken off better than I could have ever imagined. 
And the fact you've been able to do something like this for so long that it clearly shows that there was a need for it. And mm-hmm. the next kind of question I want to ask on top of that is what, when you plan this type of event, it's amazing to go to a community event. It's amazing to sit down and do keynotes, but there is a lot, a lot of work behind planning a, a gig, like a music gig, let alone a three-day conference or even a, a pop-up event um, across one whole day. There's a lot of work behind that. So when it came to the processing in your mind of how to take your creative desires to communicate, network, and, and give away these these ideas and these skills, how did that balance out with the the stress, the potential stress of actually running and making the event? Was it something you knew was coming or was it kind of a shocker when you got there? So we, you know, we kind of, we come from a very fortunate uh, background with events to where the planning wasn't necessarily uh, difficult. Uh, you know, we, we, my wife and I, we come from um, a planning background where we, we've put on Mardi Gras balls, charity functions. Um, oh, amazing booked booked bands um we we knew a lot of venues and how to go about you know contacting venues and like stuff that stuff that seems really daunting to someone who's never done it before i could definitely see that being really stressful to take on but we were we were very fortunate in that you know we had that skill set um cuz we'd been doing events in years uh they were just never necessarily something that we were personally involved in like we are with design and like I am with design. So the fact that it was, you know, a design related event, um, you know, it, it just made it all, all the better. Um, and actually running it is different though, because a lot of the other times we were on committees, like we weren't necessarily the people running it. We were just, we were helping produce these things and making contacts and this and that, but actually running it definitely does have its stresses. Um, because there are so many pieces. So it's, um, it's something that gets easier every year. Uh, but you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes and stuff that like we're freaking out about like day of or night before. Uh, luckily nobody has ever noticed, you know, they're like, Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> and but, I had you know, no like idea that it. there's about one chair in this room. Huh? <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but we just sat on the floor. <laughs> right. And, um, you know, so the planning it is easy the actual like the because it, it they're planned pretty much year round like we're already planning 2020 now yeah um so like the planning part is easy it's usually like the two to three months right before the event is where it gets tough because like that's whenever that's whenever everything starts flying at you volunteers what time your speaker's getting in which airport you're gonna have to pick them up from you know like or like is everybody's name on the hotel? Oh, they wanted to change the name for the hotel. Like there, there's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens in the three months. And that's the tough part. Yeah. The logistics as to when everyone's getting there, what's happening on the day and actually managing right. it. As you say, planning all of this stuff out is one thing, but executing it is a whole different game. Exactly. That, that That's a great way to put it. <clears throat> and so when it comes to, uh, the response to this type of event, you've said obviously that there was a need and you filled it. And how has it changed maybe over the first few years? Obviously, I know that when people run events, it's, a, it's really good and you can generally do a really good first year. Like if you can do a good first year, that's great. But it doesn't mean you're going to have a good second or a third. 
because often people will book the big hitters, the things to get people through the door and then have no sustainability. So running this type of event in the long, longer term, you say planning for 2020 shows that obviously you're very keen and there's a market for what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. now you're thinking about this in terms of that longer period. What do you want to do with crop? Um, ideally, you know, we, we never want it to get too big. Uh, one, one thing that's great about one thing that's kind of like universal piece of feedback we get is how close knit everything feels. Yep. And we, we like that aspect of it. Uh, and we don't want that to change. Like we've seen it happen with other events where you end up kind of losing sight of like why you started it because like, it's really appealing to get big and attract more people and, be able to say, Oh, we bring in this many people. And like, that's great. But that's, that was never the point. So we never want it to become the point. Um, you know, we would, we would rather put on three small events a year than one big event. Um, and that's, that's kind of where we're going with it. We always want to have a flagship main crop that's two to three days long, but you know, we're also like the pop-up crops have been really successful. They give us a chance to travel to different parts of the country, um, possibly even the world, if, if, if things go well. You ask um, me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, uh, the pop-up crops are a lot of fun. Um, it's kind of like a band going on tour, you know? Like, yeah. Oh, you get to be here and, and do a show, except it's a bunch of design kids and, you yeah. know, uh, listening to keynotes and taking workshops. So, you know, we, we definitely want to look into more of those always do the, the big yearly one. And then maybe some even smaller events that are kind of like, um, you know, uh, very, very niche and specific focused events. Yeah. That's really cool. Because as you say, people lose sight of what they want to do. And mm-hmm. but from the sounds of it, it, it was never designed to be something that was going to overtake your, your day job, your freelance job, so to speak with obviously with the collective and, and your agency and things like that. And that's a that's generally a good thing. If you have, if your job is your passion, to be able to then take on something extra, as again, what was your side hustle has now become your full time job. To then be able to take on a second side project with the events, is an incredible thing to be able to say you can do because n- not many people have that type of freedom. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of joy that's obviously is bringing to you making you want to do this year on year do you have any stories or tales of so maybe something someone said or something that's happened at crop that has made you go yeah this is this is why we do it this is why it's a good thing um you know th- there there are a lot of them to be honest with you uh it, it the good always outweighs the bad mm. um i i think just what's really cool is um the dedication and loyalty that we've had and like that that to me is uh, affirmation that we're doing a good thing because we've had people that came to the first one in Louisiana. They went to all the others in Louisiana and they went to Austin and Portland. Oh and, God. you know, like it's, it's really, it's, you know, it's really flattering that people would, you know, be that loyal to our events, but it, it means we're doing something right because we're, we're having, we're not only attracting new people, but we're getting people to come back. Um, it, it's it's been really cool to watch relationships grow um, from people that met at the first year that are still friends now, people that have started businesses together, Whoa. you know, people people that have started relationships together. Um, 
that's that's really cool and you know like the the universe is more responsible for that than we are but we provided a venue where that happened and like that's that's really interesting to see the the networking aspect of it is something i i just spoke to uh, our previous guest laura uh, at nifty fox about but networking in general in terms of meeting new people as you say whether it's whether it's they're going to become your partner one day or or not uh, in business or in romantically it doesn't matter the fact that you can connect and meet all these people is so important and yeah. as you say having that loyalty from people is amazing but the fact that you can meet new faces every year is even even more exciting and mm-hmm. it it does sound to me like i need to get out there uh, matt so yeah um, yeah let, let's let's mark a date in my calendar and we'll see what we can do. Um, We'd love it. <laughs> now, let's let's kind of go full circle here and, and kind of swing back around to some of the, uh, well, maybe not some of the joys, but of of the freelancing world and of running your own business and sharing your own type of content. Now, this is something that I think we share a similar thought process on or have had it changed in the last year from one mindset to another and a few months ago you started or made some comments and a couple of posts about the idea of a changing mindset to the way you're approaching sharing work and the fact as far as I remember that it it said that you want to be sharing things that make you happy and that you're proud of and not just something that is out there to be out there can you kind of run me through your thought process on that and how, and maybe why that changed? Um, so I, are, are you, are you referring to the, um, uh, to the make shit to you make it post? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of, um, you know, I had written, I'd written this medium article about, how social media is kind of like skewing our skewing our sense of self-worth because we're so overloaded by all of you know all of this you know great client work that people are getting and you're just like why am i not getting that and you know how easy it is to get down on yourself that you're not getting these opportunities and um you know it, it's always it's always been a struggle personally, you know, to see that stuff until, you know, I kind of realized that you really have to make your own opportunities sometimes. And, um, you can't really wait for things to happen. Uh, it's, it's a big theme with a lot of our keynotes and, you know, it's very true. Like sometimes you just need to, you need to put work out that you're passionate about. Like you, yeah, sure. You didn't get this big new brewery that opened up, but that doesn't, that, that shouldn't stop you from doing something related to it because that could potentially get you a gig doing something similar. Um, and it, it was, it was the whole, you know, the, the struggle for me was I, I recognize a lot of the fake it till you make it. Um, like that, that's, that stuff's kind of transparent. Um, whenever, whenever you can really see what's going on and, you know, like they're, you know, pretending to be something we're not like is, is very easy to do on social media. Um, and it, it just breeds this, it breeds this false sense of success and, you know, like it can sometimes make you feel inferior. And a lot of that, you know, like they're not showing, they're not showing the, the warts and moles as Aaron Draplin puts it, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're not showing all the stuff that they did. That's not glamorous. They're just showing the coolest stuff. Um, 
you know, so like if you don't have all that cool stuff to show, just make something yourself. Um, you know, just continue to continue to create like I like cassettes. So I started making these weird little like a heart shaped cassette, a triangular shaped cassette, a square shaped cassette. And, you know, like I just I made those for fun because I rarely ever don't have a computer in my lap or I'm not at a desk. Um, and what's life what's balance, fun? right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you the last time, like the only time I can actually watch a movie without having anything going on is like when I'm at the theater. <laughs> Lock me down, strap me in. <laughs> right. But, you know, like, so I, I had made these little cassettes for fun and they, they ended up reaching across the country to Portland, Oregon, where uh, a guy that was starting a brewery saw this cassette and he's like, oh man, I love this. I'm going to reach out to this guy. Like he, he looked at my work and, you know, next thing you know, like through the Ash Collective, like we're designing, you know, like the identity and packaging and actual brewery for this new um this new beer company in portland oregon all because i was sitting there one night and i wanted to turn a cassette into a square you know because i just wanted to make something i like this i'm gonna make it um and next thing you know like we've got this really great portfolio piece like that that came from that came from just making something you know like just out of the blue like no agenda and that that was kind of the mindset you know just like do do what makes you happy make make things for fun it's okay assign yourself projects um just don't pretend to be something you're not yeah and ultimately share what makes you happy because exactly if you uh, i'm i'm the fact that that had such a a nice ending to the story as well that it actually became something for you is is equally as good but bear in mind that anyone who is going through a similar thought process at the moment of seeing this fake it till you make it and how it's something I've discussed with people over the last few weeks. And I'm sure you've noticed that I haven't really been very active on social at all. Whereas previously mm -hmm. I was on it three, four, five times a day. And sure. the difference that I think I've gone through is you start to, I obviously wasn't doing fake it till you make it, but I was trying to follow that as long as transparently as possible but you do see fake it till you make it and unfortunately when those people get to where they want to go they're stood there by themselves yeah exactly and the second someone finds out that maybe you're not who you say you are or it comes something comes out of the woodwork where you've been a bit of an ass for some reason that all comes crashing down and you end up further down than when you started Whereas, exactly. as you've just said, Matt, the fact that you can turn your laptop on or pull a sketchbook out on a train or in on a bus or while watching a movie, unless you're strapped in, but <laughs> while watching a movie and just kind of let your mind wander a bit. And rather mm -hmm. than focusing on what people say or what people th you think other people are thinking about you, looking through the social media lens, to actually sit down and make something that you like and you enjoy can lead to such a, a benefit as you've just described. And I don't think many people realize that. No, I, I don't think they do. I think, you know, I think we always think we have to have this great big success and I would rather have a lot of little successes along the way um, than constantly climb that mountain to get to the big success or pretend that some of the little successes are big. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, 
being genuine, you know, like as a designer, as a person, it goes a long way. Um, and that's, that's something that we're always rooted in with crop is we have a very, we curate speakers that are genuine, um, that have like good stories to tell and aren't just, you know, here's, here's how I shot to stardom. You know, like we, we want real life experiences and through that social media lens, it's just, it's blurred so much. Like it's a great tool, but you know, it's, it's shifted a lot of things in our industry the past couple of years. The, the phrasing there is, is exactly right. It's a tool. And unfortunately for a long time, I myself and, and many other people I'm sure around the world in the industry, even just in the industry we're in, don't see it like that. It's a, it's a life or death situation for many people. At, at one point it felt like that for me and it took a long time to break out of that. It is just mm-hmm. a tool at the end of the day. It is, it is something that should be used either as a second portfolio or to share something valuable. It shouldn't be used to promote yourself in a way that is, as you say, ingenuine or something mm-hmm. that will ultimately come back to bite you because it will, whether it's on Instagram or whether it's on photomatic in 10 years time like mm. it's it will all it all comes back round and because i think it's because the internet <laughs> this is this is something that i said to to chris doe when we were on a call um a few months ago that like a y- five years on the internet is about six months oh, because wow. things, <laughs> things move so fast yeah. and I think that not the world moved slower, but we had less access. So even 10 years ago, when we had pretty crappy internet, stuff moved a lot slower. And I think in in terms of we can access all this information, it's on your phone, it's Instagram, it's Dribbble, it's Behance, it's everyone you're comparing yourself and looking at and not taking time to assess your own, what you want to do, your own skills, your own desires, and... As I say, I it feels like things move so fast on the internet that if you try and keep up, you're just going to get left behind. Whereas you just need to keep doing your own path. That, and that that's that's pretty much the gist of it. Like that's the gist of the whole make shit till you make it. And yeah. just just keep just keep making things and stay in your lane and like th- things will happen, opportunities will come to you. You know. But yeah, that that's a great way to put it put good things out into the world and good things will come to you. Now, what's the next project then? You've done cassettes. Are we going to see, I don't know, mini CD next? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I found a company that will do holographic stickers. So oh, we had, nice. you know, um, yeah, I, I had, I had a conversation with, with somebody recently and I think, I think the next thing I'm going to do is, finish out the cassette shapes. I've got a square, I've got a triangle and I've got to do a circle one and for a sticker pack. Um, I think I'm going to put those in the crop swag bags. So like that, that's my next little passion project. You keep giving uh, me more reasons to come. <laughs> well, you know, if, since it is better, if you don't make it this year, I'll, I'll send you some. Oh, thank you. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to finish out those three, those three basic shapes and make a, make a sticker pack for crop. We've got all sorts of, cool projects going on with ash collective right now um like i said we're we're in the middle of uh, kind of moving and whatnot here so my side projects right now are kind of uh you know there's not a lot of time to to devote to them so right now it's it's work and life 
yeah um, i mean you're moving in a lot of directions physically Mm -hmm. and business-wise and the fact you're able to maintain that is something that i think obviously you should be very proud of and as you said you you definitely are um and it's there's nothing to be there's nothing to be ashamed about it's uh uh, what's the right word? Celebrating those those small successes as much as those big ones. Absolutely. Um, so when it comes to Ash Collective, which is the the kind of the the final topic I'd love to talk about, is mm-hmm. you said it was put together with a bunch of your your friends and really incredible talented designers as well. Now, what is the type of model that you're going for with that? You said that you worked at the agency. You felt a bit like a piece in someone else's puzzle or a, just a gear in the machine. So what makes your own thing different is it going along that agency model or are you doing something a little different so we do go along with the agency model and the the way it came about um was we were we were both separate entities um i was doing my own thing um the the group that i partnered with they were doing their own thing but you know we still work together um you know i would i would do design work for them um kind of like on a freelance level. And then one day we just kind of realized that we balanced out each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses. Um, Mine being the business side of things, you know, like I was, I was doing more admin stuff at the time than I was designing, Mm. you know, because you're you're doing invoicing and, you know, hunting down money and pitches and proposals. And next thing you know, like I wouldn't design till late in the afternoon. And by that point I was really burned out. Um, and, you know, at the same time, like they, you know, they were using, they were utilizing my skills for design work. So it was like, well, this makes sense to put these two together and, you know, kind of, you know, be, be stronger as one. Um, so, you know, it's, it's me and two other partners. We have a junior designer that we hired this past summer. Um, and we have a, a part-time brand strategist that we, that we work with. So we kind of believe in the power of a small team to tackle um, the, the types of projects that we take on. Um, I think Jeff Bezos says never, never have a company where um, that can't be fed off of two pizzas. <laughs> so, <laughs> power of like, it, it's something if one like phone call can't feed your entire team. Don't bother. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, uh, we we just finished our first year um, doing doing that as a you know like the full time thing, and yeah, you know like it, it it could be it could be construed by people that that work you know that work with us that maybe they're building maybe they're helping build our dream and one day they might want to go out and build theirs and that's perfectly fine because we get that you know like we like we we went through those steps to you know we are where we are now. And we're very happy with being there. So, you know, we, we understand um, that it, it very well might happen to us someday. So you never know. But right now, uh, we've got a really great team. Um, and we're very, very fortunate to be doing some, some rad projects. Awesome. That's really great to hear. And especially coming up, I'd say, on your first year and being able to say, you know what, we've smashed this and it's only going to get better is an amazing mm-hmm. thing to have on your in your back pocket because... I know, obviously, in I, th- I think in the UK specifically, it's something like eighty percent of businesses fail in their first year. I don't know what it's like in the states, but within probably, it's a very, very, very high number, and often it can be attributed to wrong team members, wrong culture, wrong personality, mm-hmm. and and to hear that you've got such a good balance 
you say strengths and weaknesses and uh, whether that's business or creative is something that's difficult to find. So would you recommend maybe people going out and say networking people and trying to build something like themselves? Or is it something that you want to do kind of deeper into your career when you've gone and seen a little bit more? I think it just depends on, on what you want, you know, like if, if you know, right out of school or right out of, you know, you obviously don't have to go to school to be a designer, but if you know that you want to have your own thing, then, you know, start building it. Like, you know, build it as early as possible. Uh, I think, you know, with, with me, a lot of times, like there's, there's like a badge of honor that's worn with, uh, doing everything yourself. And like, I kind of wore that a little, a little too much to where (laughs) I ended up burning myself out, you know? So like I, 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 I knew and recognized that I needed help in other areas or I wasn't going to give clients the type of design that they were coming to me for because my mind just wasn't there. You know, like I was so preoccupied and burnt out with, with everything else. So it it took me a while to realize that, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe having some help isn't a bad thing. It's not a weakness necessarily. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's worked really well for me and some people, you know, can, can just crush it on their own nonstop for years. And like, that's fine. But, um, you know, for any, any young designers that think that's the way you have to go, it's, it's not entirely true. Like there's, there's strength in, uh, you know, having a, having a good support system. Yeah. There's strength in numbers and there's nothing wrong with asking for help if you need it. And especially when you're early on, it's something that I didn't do. And it's something that I would always recommend is that if you can, even if it's just online, even if it's just like a zoom call, like Matt and I are doing right now, if it's something that you can do quickly, if it's something that does require very little effort and you can get and ask for help from someone who you think is maybe more experienced than you are or more skilled than you are often in the design community. Um, people are much more open than maybe other industries and much more eager to share. They really are. You know, like that, that's one, that's one great thing about social media is how it's connected people. I mean, obviously you and I, you know, we've, we've been Instagram friends for a while now and you know, we're having a conversation. So like the way it connects people is great. And the, the way our industry has shifted, you know, um, back whenever I was in school, like 12, 13 years ago, it was very different dynamic. Everybody kept, kept to themselves. Like nobody wanted to share how they did this or that. And it was very, it was very much like, you know, if I tell this person that they're going to steal business from me or, you know, like (laughs) there's this weird mentality back in the day. Um, and now it's, it's so much more open and, uh, communal. So yeah, never be afraid to ask for help. Never be afraid to shoot somebody a DM, reach out to them, ask how they did this, how they're doing that. Um, Cause like, that's, that's one of the great benefits of the tool of social media is, you know, you can connect with somebody instantly. And yeah, again, going back to that point of it's a tool guys, it's not life <laughs> yeah. or death. There are people who built businesses long before social media. One piece of content mm-hmm. may not get you anything, but right it may also help you get a lot. So just take the time to assess your priorities, make sure that work-life balance is good so you actually spend time with your family rather than, as Matt said, burning the candle at both ends because it does does run out. And burnout is very difficult, a very deep hole to dig yourself out of. Yeah, it really is. So 
kind of to wind the show down to something maybe that can kind of kickstart someone after hearing that type of conversation, what would be one kind of habit or mindset skill that you've kind of learned over the last 10 years in design, even just in your freelance time of something that's going to benefit someone positively that you, a habit, a skill, a, a mindset that could set them on the right path in 2019? Um, prioritizing, uh, learning, learning to work on a schedule. It, it took me years to learn how to work on a schedule and be honest with you, I'm still not great at it. But, um, you know, with, we won't talk about the Slack redesign, but with, with, <laughs> with, with, with stuff like, you know, like, like Slack notifications and social media notifications and emails and phone calls and text messages. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this earlier um, cause she recently started her own business and she's like, how do you deal with all of this, you know, stimuli coming at you that like you, you, you really have to learn to prioritize, you know, um, set, set a schedule. This is what time you're checking emails. This is what time you're getting back to people. Go check all your Slack channels at this point, carve out these couple of hours for design time and don't try to do, don't try to marathon any one thing. If you sit down and try to do emails all day, you're going to go crazy by like hour two. If you sit down and design all day and you get stumped and you're just sitting there toiling, you know, switch it up, go do something else. Um, and that, that took me like I, my buddy, Jason Craig actually kind of got me on, on that, uh, that mindset for switching from design to, you know, go do something mindless if you're stuck on a project, but yeah, like set windows for yourself to accomplish like little goals instead of, you know, Oh, I've got 300 emails in there. I want to clear them all out today. Yeah. They're out in, you know, uh, but yeah, setting, setting little goals and celebrating those little victories of, uh, you know, accomplishing small tasks that will ultimately add up to a big task. That's an absolutely great mindset and, and skill to have. It's a difficult one to learn. It'll be a hard 30 days for you to get in the habit of it, but it will probably make a massive difference by the time you actually kickstart it and get it going. So yeah, yeah. thank you very much, Matt, for joining us on this week's episode of The Fowler hour it's been great to hear about what you've been up to and obviously crop so where can when's the next crop event where can people find it and where can people find you so the next crop is coming up in uh i think it's like exactly three months away um it's going to be april 18th and 19th in baton rouge louisiana uh we've got a really rad lineup uh, John Contino, Snask, Lauren Holm, James Victoria, Lauren Dickens. I mean, we, we, it's, it's a really rad lineup. Um, so you can find information about that at cropcons.com. Uh, you can follow us on social at cropcons. Um, I don't have a website right now, which I know is not a, not a good thing, but you know, you got to take care of other people's needs first. Uh, so you can find most of my up-to-date current work, um, on Instagram at stay gray pony boy, and you can check out what we're doing with the Ash collective at the Ash collective. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. All those links are going to be in the description down below. Thank you very much for tuning into this week's episode of the Fowler hour and we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Connor.